Well, as the screen says in the video, we're in a, a series called Detox, and Grant alluded to that this morning, and we've uh, been using this working definition of the word toxic, that it's anything containing poisonous materials capable of causing sickness or death. And so you have that little toxic symbol that you see that if there's somebody has a chemical waste or something like that, you make sure you don't swim in that water or you know, drink the bleach or whatever it is, something that can be toxic in your life. Well, something way more than physical we've been talking about is the inner life and how things can get toxic in our thoughts. So we talked about overcoming toxic thoughts. We talked about uh, overcoming toxic influences. Brian taught about that a few weeks ago. Last week we talked about overcoming toxic relationships. I wanna say thank you very much for your feedback on these messages. That is always encouraging to know, you know when we stink and it's encouraging to know when we're actually doing good. So thank you for that. And I was joking about the stinking part, but um, keep those comments to yourself, just kidding. But today we're gonna talk about everybody's favorite, right? Overcoming bad habits. And the thing about habits that are, that are so crazy is how easy is it to create a bad habit in your life? You just come so subtle. And how hard is it to overcome bad habits? Not just the physical habits of eating poorly or, or smoking or this or that, but it's the character habits of being impatient, the character habits of, you know, just lacking self-control. And I think that's the heart of what God wants to, to get at this morning. There's a, a verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. The Apostle Paul uh, gives us a, a really good word picture of who we are. He says this, he says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. So we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, you put your trust in him, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. And it's a word picture of really what happened in the, in the Old Testament. If you recall in, in the Old Testament, Moses, God had Moses built the tabernacle, tabernacle in the wilderness. So it was a big tent and it was where they did worship. It was where they performed the animal sacrifices and all the things that really was the heartbeat of, of the Jews and their worship unto God as being God's people. And David comes along and he wants to build God a permanent structure, a building. David so loved God and worshiped him. David wrote the majority of the Psalms. And so he, he has a, a temple that, that's built uh, beautiful. And then his son Solomon takes it to a whole new level in architecture. And by the time Jesus was on the scene, the temple was an amazing, beautiful structure. And what it all ha had happened there. Well, there were times in the history of the Jews where they served God wholeheartedly and times they didn't serve him so wholeheartedly. They would let bad influences into their, to their lives. They didn't heed the warnings of God about, you know, giving yourself to foreign gods. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, we read about a guy named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the kings and throughout the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you read about the, 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 the kingdom of Israel and what God was doing there and, and what each king was about. And over and over we would read that either a king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and then 
several of them did what was not pleasing and right in the sight of the Lord. So you see that in Judges and in these books. And so um, Hezekiah's father, his name was Ahaz, and he's in the previous chapter, in chapter 28 of Second Chronicles, talks about his life. And it says that Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That he actually opened, he closed the doors of the temple and brought all the things that, that God told them not to bring into the temple that defiled the temple, defiled who they were as the people of God. He did the exact opposite. And for 16 years under his reign as king, that's how they, they operated. Well, when Hezekiah becomes king of Israel, it says in chapter 29, right at the beginning, that he opened the doors of the temple and that he got rid of all the things that defiled the temple, and he brought all the things of the Lord back in, and he reestablished temple worship. And God, you know, when Ahaz had let his guard down and let all this junk back into to the, the worship life of Israel, uh, it says that their enemies came and defeated them over and over and over, so they were under bondage in many ways. Well, when Hezekiah came in and they reestablished this, they, they began to defeat their enemies again. So there was a real correlation that goes on there. I think that is a perfect word picture for you to remember this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we don't need a building anymore to, to, to do worship in. You are the temple of God. It's important that you understand that. And that what happened in Second Chronicles 29, 28 and 29 of them letting their guard down and letting in these bad influences into their life and what happened and the, the toxic things that happened in their lives and how Hezekiah overcame that by just getting his heart right back with the Lord, the changes that happened. That's a picture for us to understand this morning how bad habits can come in, toxic habits can come into our life, and what we need to do to overcome those through God's power and through his grace. It's important this morning that when, when you talk about habits, I even like hesitated in sending an email to the church that we were going to talk about overcoming bad habits, like, oh, I don't want to come hear a message of you know, condemnation, I already know, I'm, you know, do, do, woe is me kind of thing. And I thought, no, we need that because God's given us power and he wants you and I to live an abundant life. He wants us to live a life that brings him glory and honor and he actually knows what's best for each one of us. I believe that. But it's important as we talk about this that don't forget that it's, it's easy to focus on the outward part of who we are when you're talking about bad habits and not the inward. And Jesus had a way, every time he talked to people, he would get to the heart of the matter. He didn't focus on all the outward trappings. He would always get to the heart. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 23, when he is, he's rebuking the religious leaders and the people that thought their righteousness came from their outward things, their outward religion, that that made them right with God, he says, he warns him. He said, you clean the outside of the cup. But the inside is still filthy. It's still dirty. And the picture that I got in my mind was, you know, you, you go to pour a cup of coffee in the morning and the outside of the cup is nice and clean. But when you go to pour your coffee, it's two-day-old chili, you know, that's getting all gross and crusty. And he's saying, clean the inside of the cup. That's more important than that. That, that, that for us as believers, when the spirit, the spiritual side of who we are, the inward life is changed... That's when we can truly overcome these habits. 
But when you're fighting it in your flesh, you're fighting it in your own willpower, you're going to fail. I know that to be true in my own life. And I got things that I'm working on constantly. I'm fully aware this morning. Brian is fully aware of our own shortcomings. I was telling my core group this week, and I got a teaching on habits. And it was like, I know the, own, the junk in my own life. And Troy in my, home group said, in my core group said, hey, that makes it good when you're real as well. And we're in this thing together. So um, let God focus on your heart this morning as we teach through overcoming these toxic habits. Habits. Such a nice ring to that word, isn't it? Habits. You know, we all have them, every single one of us. For some reason, though, we're not always so quick to acknowledge them and admit them. Would you agree? Your bad habits especially? If you want to know about your bad habits, who should you talk to? Probably those people that you're around the most in life, right? Your spouse, your kids, your parents, or your coworkers. Aren't they quick to be able to tell you what your bad habits are? Sure, sure thing. You know, here's a, a couple facts for you, though. All habits are learned. Every one of them. When we were born into the world, you're only given certain innate abilities. You know how to basically sleep and eat and do other things. Make boom boom? Yeah, make, <laughs> make boom boom. Yeah. We know we have a five-month-old. They're, they're good at making boom boom. Uh, but here's another fact about habits. They're all actually tied to some form of reward in your brain. Every single habit is sort of the means to an end. And they're fabricated, they're learned throughout your life. So in other words, a habit is a pathway to achieve some end result that you have as idealistic in your mind. And so you can change the means, or so to speak, the habit, and keep the same end result, or you can keep the habit, you can change the end result if you want, or you can change both, depending on where your conviction lies. By definition, toxic habits, and most natural habits for that matter, are practices or tendencies that tend to make unhealthy the things in our life or your relationship with God or your relationship with others. That's what habits ultimately have an effect on. And even more interestingly than that, almost all the toxic habits in our life, let's call bad habits toxic habits, okay, for the sake of this, this teaching today. Almost all the toxic habits in our life actually stem from things that God intended to be good. This is crazy. Let's think about this for a minute. Everybody loves an interactive sermon, so I want you to finish this cliche for me. All things are good in moderation. Has anybody not heard that before? It's probably one of the most overstated and probably one of the most untruthful phrases that we hear. And the reason I think it's so untruthful is because everything isn't good in moderation. Some things aren't good at all. And some things should be good all the time, and they are good all the time. They're just not always present in our lives. And so here's what happens. A good thing left unattended or without boundaries. I think, Scott, you talked a few weeks ago about the boundaries in our life and putting healthy boundaries in place. But a good thing without boundaries can actually become toxic. So when or where is that line drawn? Let's look at some examples, okay? I want you to raise your hand if you agree that working out has some tangible, good physical benefits to it, working out. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, <laughs> we probably won't see you in the gym tomorrow, but that's okay. Here's the thing, working out is very good for us, for our heart, for our mind, for our muscles, and et cetera. But what about when working out leads to vanity? What about the consequences when somebody takes working out so far 
that it's the physical identifiers that cause them and other people around them to stumble. It can become so self-centric and actually can lead to things like bulimia and anorexia and eating disorders and very unhealthy things just from something that God created to be important and good in our lives. What about eating and drinking? You know, when you look at scripture, we see this word gluttony. Don't, we don't do a lot of Bible studies and teachings on gluttony, but, and it's not something we talk about a lot in, in the American way as well. I mean, you hear studies that say America's uh, obese or overweight or whatever, but what about eating? God made eating a necessity of life, correct? We have to intake food to, to live our lives and be healthy. And what about drinking? We talked about this a few weeks ago under toxic influences. We see in scripture, we see the existence of alcohol. We see some positive benefits of alcohol. We see some very bad effects of alcoholism. So where does eating and drinking, where is that line between when that becomes toxic or unhealthy in our lives? Medication, I think many of us as we get older, we use medication in some form or another to help cure ailments or prevent ailments from happening. Medications a very, can be a very good thing, but what about when med medication becomes addictive? I mean, I know personal family members I've seen struggle with addiction to medications, and it is not a fun thing to watch. Here's one for you, how about spousal intimacy? Scott and I talked last week that probably one of the greatest examples of the union between two spirits, of, the, of two souls becoming one is spousal intimacy. God created that for, not only for the benefit of, of a man and, and a wife, but also to, for the sake of growing families and reproducing. I think all of us are aware that this sort of spousal intimacy can lead to things like curiosity, comparison, pornography addictions, things of that nature. And guys, it's a real thing. And we're not gonna refrain from standing at the pulpit talking about addressing these life issues because they're real and they're prevalent. A couple other things here, what about money? We all need some resources in order to live our lives, provide for our families and et cetera. But, and by the way guys, scripture does not say money is the root of evil. And if you've heard that before, that's not what it says. It says the love of money can be the root of all sorts of evil. What they're saying is, is that money in and of itself, when it's put on a pedestal and it's not given to God and it's not used in the right ways, can lead to lack of stewardship. It can lead to debt. It can lead to gambling addictions. Uh, it can lead to a very self-centered and not uh, nature and not putting others before ourselves and certainly God. Multimedia and resources, guys. How many know that we have as an American people, an addiction to this little thing right here. We do, by and large, we are so reliant upon multimedia and devices and television and things like that, but it can lead to overuse and coveting. I'm gonna talk about one other thing that you may not think of when you think about something that God used, uh, created for good that actually can be abused, and that's tobacco. Let's think about that for a minute. There's, there's records of tobacco dating as, as far back as the 15th century. Now, this is interesting. Back in the 15th century, tobacco was referred to the holy herb and also as God's remedy. And now we just call it the wacky tobacco if you live in Colorado, which is a whole other topic of conversation. See, tobacco was used for a wide variety of things like curing illnesses and ailments. In fact, the Native American people have and still do um, use tobacco for teeth whitening. How weird is that? They found a way to mix it with chalk and actually become a whitening agent for teeth. We think of tobacco as actually staining our teeth. But you know, tobacco is uh, very relevant for me in my life because as I um, mentioned a few weeks ago, my mother has, has had some sickness in her life and she died at the age of 48 from lung disease because she smoked for 30 years, right? Addiction to tobacco can actually have life-altering and adverse effects. Now, we gotta be clear about something. Scott and I are not going to stand up here 
and condemn you or from a pulpit address any habits that exist in this room in a negative way. So if you smoke, do not hear that we're saying uh, that that is um, necessarily ungodly, that it is unrighteous, that there's a salvation involved with that. Because we, as Scott mentioned, we have plenty of issues and habits in our own lives that we have to address, okay? So I'm not saying that. But the reality is you can change a physical habit. You can work out more. You can stop smoking. You can break this physical addiction. But if you're not changing habits on the inside, the things that have eternal and lasting impact, I think we need to take a closer look. Probably need to fix some things. And so that's really what we're going to get into today. We're going to talk about how to overcome these toxic habits. So I would tell you the first thing that we need to do in order to overcome toxic habits in our life is to realize that our habits shape our character and define our destiny in life. The habits shape my character and define my destiny in life. So I have here a golf club. Some of you asked me on the way in today, what's this for? So I can beat people over the head if they're sleeping during the service. That's not what it's for. But it, I want to paint a picture with this golf club. Okay, I love to golf. And I've, I've golfed with Scott. I've golfed with many people in here. Now, if you're a guy like me, of course, and especially if you have a background in football, which is what I played for many years, you're taught about explosiveness and power and strength and all these things. So when I get a golf club in my hands, that's generally the end result. Is I, I get up there and, man, I'm swinging this thing hard. And, and it feels really good in front of your guy friends to, like, crush a ball. I'm like, you know, get up there and I'm boom, and I hit the ball, I'm like, crushed it. And all my, my bros are like, yeah, dude, and then you just crushed the window on that house over there. Um, that's typical for me in my golf game. But I wanna use this golf club as a, as a picture for you. So I hope you all can see this. So if you've never played golf, when you swing the golf club, there's a variety of end results that can happen, okay? If this golf, the face of this golf club, right here, the golf uh, club head, if I'm even slightly off, at the time that the club head hits the, gol the golf ball at impact, one little small adjustment and angle there means it has a gigantic end result on where that golf ball lands in relativity to the fairway. Okay, the middle of the fairway is where we want to hit. So if I'm just a little bit off here, that ball can go really far that way or really far that way. And so I say this because as the golf game progresses on, what happens is, like, I start out nice and easy, and I get about halfway through and I start swinging harder and harder and harder, and the ball starts going more right and more left. And typically, I don't know how I got there. And generally, by that far in, I don't know how to adjust to make it stop. And it actually, it's very similar to the way that habits creep into our lives. Sometimes you take something that God created for good, and it just, it, it just becomes slightly off at the beginning. And by the end, we're stuck in this habit or addiction or sin, and we don't know how we got there. And usually, we struggle to overcome it. So when we say habits shape our character, these are our individual qualities, such as our moral compass or our ethical qualities. So I would pose a question to you. Do you have a support system or an accountability system around you in order to keep you accountable for the good and bad habits in your life? We talk about character. We're referring to reputation. Your reputation. Now, I know as a little kid that people can be very brutal, and it can hurt our feelings. And so, you know, your parents teach you when you're little kids, well, don't worry about your reputation. Uh, people are fickle and all those sorts of things. But to a degree in the Christian world, ought we, ought, to, ought we not have to have a pretty good reputation in order to have credibility with the people that we want to share Jesus Christ with? Because, I mean, if there's not an example 
by the way we lead our life and the habits that we succumb to, when we're trying to share the truth of Jesus Christ, it's so easy for someone to say, dude, you don't have any credibility because I watch how you live your life. And so our reputation goes into this character conversation, and ultimately we're saying that our habits lead to um, shaping our character. So while character has the regard for the habits overall in our life, it really has concern for the habits of our heart. It's the core of this message today. So habits shape our character, and you know they also affect our destiny. I wanna take a look at 2 Chronicles 28. Okay, this is when Scott was referring to the king named Ahaz. Now, uh, Ahaz was the king uh, whose son was Hezekiah. We read about a little bit later on in scripture. And in this, in this verse, chapter 28, one through five, here's a couple things that stood out to me about Ahaz. It says that he made idols for worshiping the Baals. And what that means is he made idols to worship the false gods, gods of infertility, gods of the natural, God, uh, natural gods, etc. And um, we know, if you look in the Old Testament, how important it is to not worship other gods, but the one true God, God in heaven, right? It also says about Ahaz that he sacrificed his children in the fire. Now, I'm pretty sure that that's not a real godly thing. There, there's examples of Abraham when God spoke distinctly and wanted to measure faith by saying, would you be willing to give up your child for the sake of a relationship with me? That's not what was happening here. And from this scripture, we can't really infer what habits Ahaz had. We don't really know a lot about who he surrounded himself, what his thoughts were like, what his influences were like, and what his relationships were like. But we do know that he had a very ungodly life. And I wanna take a look real quickly also in Isaiah 59. It says that your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, I think we can all agree in here that sins separate us from God. Amen? Do you agree with that? And that's why we need Jesus as our Savior, because we can't be in right relationship with God if sin is present in our life. So we're saying that these habits and these addictions can ultimately lead to sin. It can affect our destiny for the future. There are both subtle effects and there are drastic effects of the habits in our life. Let me give you some examples. Here are some what we would call benign effects, relatively insignificant effects of habits in our life. Um, Things like procrastination, tardiness, poor grammar, foot and mouth disease. Got foot and mouth disease, okay. Sometimes we speak before thinking about what we're saying, okay. Poor manners and interrupting. These are all relatively benign habits. These are habits that your spouse might say, yeah, I mean, Jill would probably tell you that maybe I interrupt sometimes or, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, I probably do a lot of these things, I'm sure. But there are also life-wrecking habits. Here's some example of life-wrecking habits, and these are sort of when habits lead to sin, okay? Things like greed, things like financial irresponsibility, and we know that Statistically, we look at divorce in America, which is running rampant, and one of the key causes of that is financial instabilities and financial issues in marriages. So we know that certainly financial irresponsibility has significant impacts on our destiny. Lust, that's a huge issue um, in coming in between spousal intimacy and marriages. Violence, arrogance, and blaspheming. By, By the way, blasphemy, did you know that that's the only unforgivable sin? In the Bible, the only sin that is not forgivable is that which can't be forgiven, which is our inability to accept Jesus Christ with a repentant heart. That's, the, that, that's what scripture says is the only thing that, that cannot be saved. And 
that gets into a deeper theology, but blasphemy is a, is, a, is a habit that has lasting effects in our life. So imagine if for just a minute, Magic Johnson, you guys remember the, the great basketball player Magic Johnson? What if he had practiced a good habit of fidelity in his relationship? As you, as you may not know, he suffers from HIV because of his decision to go outside the union of marriage in which God intended. What about the great football player Jerry Rice? maybe the most prolific football player in history, what if he would have caught a few less footballs every day during the course of his life? I mean, he made his entire reputation and career on catching footballs, so obviously he was very good at that. What if the Enron executives would have chosen to practice a little contentment in their life, right? That Enron, what a disaster that was. Greed and egregiousness, egregiosity, maybe, is that the word? Bad anyway, grammar. there was a greed. Bad grammar. Yeah, bad grammar. <laughs> Um, there, was a, there was an end result of their greediness. And, and for you music lovers, what about if Jim Morrison hadn't picked up heroin as a drug habit? Maybe he's still around making music today, whether it was God-honoring or not, I don't know. But ultimately, guys, we're here to pose a question because it's, it's, we want to bring light of the habits that are going to lead to godliness. But what if God actually had a much better for life for us even now? Right? We understand eternity in heaven is going to be this perfect place with no sin, no regret, no remorse, no heartache. But what if God had even a better life in store for us now based on conforming habits to his likeness? Chew on that for a little bit. Second thing that we want to do if we're going to detox from habits is we want to re resolve to take action now before it's too late. Before it's too late. No matter how bad the habits are in your life at this moment in time, it is nothing that God cannot overcome. So you need to know that, you need to be encouraged by that because no matter what you're struggling with it, right now, um, God can restore it. But it is possible to dig such a big hole now that it is almost seemingly impossible to overcome. So if we take action now, build good habits now, then we probably can build, you know, at least a, maybe a better life for ourselves and our family uh, in this life. I want to take a look at Hezekiah, okay? So we talked about Ahaz. He was this, this king of Israel that, he, I mean, he, he closed the doors of the temple. So I want you to imagine that if, what if one day we closed the doors to Novation Church, said, guys, can't come here anymore. Most of you would be looking for other churches to go to. But what if all the churches in general, what if, what if all the doors to all the church were closed because the governor of Colorado said that churches need to close their doors? That would have a pretty significant impact and effect on each of our walks, right? And so King Ahaz, the father, he closed the doors of the temple. Well, look what it says what Hezekiah did. He says he didn't wait to make changes. The first thing he did was he opened the doors to the temple. Now, this is a really cool analogy for our walks with Jesus. I think that for many of us, myself included, for most of my life, we're a little afraid to kind of open up our heart. We keep our heart closed because life hurts, and because God, how could you? And because God allowed this person to die or God allowed this corruption to happen in the world. So we should have to keep our hearts closed. But you see what Hezekiah did? The first thing he did was open up the doors of the temple. And what God's saying to us is, would you open up your heart? Would you just open it? And even if you have no idea who God really is or you're not sure about this Jesus guy, it starts with just being open to it and exploring because ultimately we're looking for truth. We're not looking for we're not looking for a, a cultish following, a place to belong, although there is a benefit of the church to belonging, but we're looking for God to, to really reveal truth in our lives. 
It says, Hezekiah removed the things that defiled the temple and replaced them with the things of the Lord. Right? It's removing the bad things and replacing them with good things. We'll talk about that in just a second. I also want to point out that in 2 Chronicles 29.1, it said, what Hezekiah did was right in the eyes of the Lord. So really, we want to, be, we want to put these, these habits before the Lord and say, God, is this right in your eyes, or do you really care about this, etc." Okay, so we've got to resolve to take actions. The third thing we have to do is replace habits with good ones, which takes discipline. The D word. Okay, the, D, the D word. Please don't say that word in church, okay. discipline, right? When we did youth ministry, I did youth ministry for about eight years. And one thing we used to teach the young students was we're all carrying around a backpack in life. And our backpack's got a lot of junk in it from life experiences, hurts and burdens, and bad decisions, right? We used to tell the students, when you reach into your backpack, when God is changing your life, when you reach in your backpack and you take out some junk, don't just replace it with more junk. Don't just walk along and say, okay, I got a little room in my backpack. Let me, let me pick up this piece of junk and throw it in there and replace the old junk. No. Either leave it a little empty for a while until you know that you're going to pick up something good to put back in that bag. So what we're talking about is replacing the bad habits, the toxic habits, with good habits. Ephesians 4.22, this is when Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus. And Paul, we know, looking at Scripture, that Paul had a great responsibility in building the early church. It says that, uh, one of the key parts of the Scripture, it says that um, you were created to be like God, and so you must please him and truly be holy. That's a challenging scripture. Many, many of you in this room, and I've had conversations with other believers, they would say, you can't please God. It's impossible to please God. But when I read what Paul's writing here, I mean, he's saying you must please him and truly be holy. There is a godliness, a righteousness that does bring God pleasure about the way that we're living our lives. Now, I gave you some, uh, some news earlier, some information about habits, and I've got a little bad news for you, okay? Here's some bad news. Now, old habits are hard to break, and new habits are hard to form. Did you know that? That's the bad news, okay? And scientifically, here's what happens. In our mind, we have neural pathways. We've got all these little channels in our brain, and God, like, through the creation of mankind, God created our brain in certain ways so that we can actually build habits. Why? Because he knows that building habits the right way create consistency and repetition in our lives so that we can be fruitful. Now, consequently, bad habits use those same pathways in our brain. I think about this example. Jill and I moved to Golden last October, and we both commute to, from the west side of town all the way over to the east side of town. We got to drive on I-70 during rush hour. Now, if any of you commute that way, you'll know that generally by the time you hit Interstate 25 and you're going over the, the elevated section of I-70, you hit traffic. And it stinks, especially if you're running a few minutes behind, which I know nobody in this room does because there's no procrastinators or people who struggle with tardiness in this room. But if you did, you would know that you hit traffic there. So after about six months, I learned that if you stay right when you're approaching I-25 north or south and you actually stay right like you're going on I-25 south, you can actually take the Washington Street exit and you can bypass that whole section. You can just go around it, and there's like no cars, and all of a sudden you end up about Brighton Boulevard, and you just wave at everybody as you went by and say, you know, I'm over here, see ya. Well, you know, I, once I learned that, I did that for like a couple days, and then, then I forgot about it for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden that light bulb went off again, and I just felt so happy because of that little bypass. You know, I remembered the bypass. I remembered, and I started building that habit to go that way, and now I don't even care if there's traffic or not. I just kind of go that way because... About that habit. And so God created these neural pathways in our brain. And so when we have the bad habits, they're taking up that pathway 
it's really hard to make good ones. And that's that's kind of by design. So here's a, about three facts about discipline for you. First of all, discipline promotes godliness. That's on your notes. You don't need to fill it in. But dis- discipline promotes godliness. We look at 1 Timothy. One of my favorite books is, is Timothy because you got this apostle Paul who would be like this elder in your church, this great leader. And Timothy's this young teenager, and he's a protege of Paul. So Timothy writes a book. He actually had a book in the Bible. And Timothy writes, keep, he says, keep yourself in training for a godly life. He says physical exercise has some value. We talked about that. He says, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way because it promises life for both the present and for the future. And he's saying this is a true saying being compelled by it. But the key to that is keep yourself in training for a godly life. And we know that discipline can actually lead to godliness. It's a very good thing. It's sort of that live life for the present part. And I want to go a little bit further in 2 Chronicles, okay? We talked about King Ahaz. We talked about King Hezekiah. Well, if you go on from chapter 29, uh, 28 and 29 and you go into 30, uh, 31, it says, And everything Hezekiah undertook in the service of God's temple and obedience to the law and his commands, it said he sought this and worked wholeheartedly. And then here's the cool part. Here's the, the sort of the uh, morsel at the end of the journey here. It says, And he so prospered. We have this image in America about what prosperity looks like, but really prosperity is the well-being of man. Does it involve some kind of material well-being? I think so, having your needs met, but it also involves peace in the heart, and it involves relationships. It involves impact, and it said, and Hezekiah so prospered. It's encouraging to me about building some good habits. And by the way, I would add, Timothy also wrote in 1 Timothy 6, he said, if you combine that godliness with contentment, what do you get? Great gain. So if we can learn to like, build good habits to honor God, and we also find contentment in our heart, Timothy says, that's great gain. The next little fact about discipline here, and this is the hard one, guys, it's probably the hardest part of this whole deal, is that discipline demands delayed gratification. Discipline demands delayed gratification. Author Scott Peck wrote, he said, delaying gratification is a process of scheduling the pain and pleasure of life in such a way that it enhances pleasure, like sort of the end result, by meeting and experiencing the pain first and getting it over with. Guys, this is that sort of pain before gain mentality that we hear a lot about, right? And it's, so if you're gonna go to the gym, if you see somebody, if you've never, if you haven't worked out for a long time and you go back to the gym, what happens? You get sore, right? When I was playing baseball in high school, we had this Nazi baseball coach and he was so, I say that respectfully. He was a disciplinarian, okay? And so he, um, he we, we did plyometrics so intensely that after about a week, you know how you could tell who the baseball players were? Because if, if you went on a step and God forbid you unlocked your knee, your quads were so sore that literally that's what you would see the baseball players doing because we had done such intense training that our muscles were so fatigued. And that's a byproduct. That's the pain before the gain of becoming in shape. Detoxing from substance abuse, this is a very painful thing. If you watch somebody go through rehab uh, and they go through withdrawals, that's, that's not an easy thing to watch happen. And that's that pain before that gain of being cleansed and free from that drug addiction. Quitting smoking, we talked about this. I, you know, I'll admit to you all, and again, if you smoke in here and you ever wanted to really quit and you said, Brian, would you help me? Amen, I'm your biggest proponent, okay? Now, my mom smoked for like 30 years, and I never understood why she couldn't just quit. You ever said that to somebody that smokes? Why don't you just quit? 
Well, it's hard and it's painful for somebody to go through quitting smoking. And I would add that it's probably sometimes equally as painful for the person that's going along with them, right? If you've ever been close to somebody who quit smoking, it's, it can get ugly at times. What about getting out of debt? Getting out of debt, how painful is that? How much do you have to sacrifice now the things that you want, need, and just don't go buy that thing for the sake of being free from that debt? I would also, these are all outward things. What about inward things like patience? I've heard Scott, Scott, I've probably heard you teach five times in the last three or four years about patience. And you know what happens. If you ask God for patience, say, God, help me build a good habit of being patient with others, with my family, with my coworkers. And what is God going to do? He's going to put you in situations that force you to be patient. And that is extreme, so extremely painful for me to drive behind slow people. I don't know why. It's just painful. But... I believe that there's hope for that rehabilitation. Here's the last fact about discipline. Discipline requires discretion and accountability. You gotta have both, guys. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.12. Paul, also writing to the church at Corinth, says someone will say, I'm allowed to do anything. In other words, I'm free from the law. Paul says, yeah, but not everything is good for you. I could say that I'm allowed to do anything, but I'm not going to let anything make me a slave. So we've established that there are really good things in life, guys. And so when we talk about discretion, we say, go before God and just ask God. Say, God, is this something that you would want for my life? Ask God, is this a, is this a necessity for me? Is this good? Is it fruitful? That's the discretion part. And also, surround yourself with people who are gonna help you maintain those standards. And if it's not your husband or wife, then find somebody you know, who will come alongside you and encourage you and support you through building those good habits. So Scott's gonna go ahead and take it from here and uh, finish this up and how to detox from toxic habits. I'm thankful, Brian, that you took the discipline about food and exercise because I didn't wanna show anybody up on you know, my, <laughs> my physique and habits here. But, uh, in all seriousness, Hezekiah rearranged the temple. And if we're going to be like Hezekiah, that word picture of, of we're the temple of God and what God wants to do, put good things in our life and remove the bad things, we've got to remember what he did. And I would tell you this, if you want to do that, spiritually speaking, in your life, you can see this on your notes, I need to rearrange my life around the same priorities and practices of Jesus. Jesus is first and foremost our Savior, He's our Lord, he came to die, live and die and rise from the dead and he's coming back again one day. And he's our savior. But he's also showed us the kind of life that he wants us to live by his priorities and by his practices. Let me just go through this real quick for you. And this, you can go and kind of meditate on this at home. First of all, the first priority, I, I summarized it into three, three things that summarize Jesus' priorities. First of all, it was to do the will of his father. It was to do the will of his father. He said that his food was to do the will of God. That, that, that's, that's what kept him going was whatever the father had told him to do, he wanted to do it. We got to look at our own lives and say, have I resolved that I want to give my whole life to doing the will of God? That does not mean we're going to do it perfect. That does not mean we're not going to stumble and fall. But it's a resolve of the heart that, God, I want your will to be done in my life. Jesus modeled that. Jesus, his priority 
to him was preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. He preached the kingdom of God and the gospel that brought people into the kingdom of God and what he did for us. And he demonstrated it both in his signs and wonders, but just in his love. And I would give you the last one would be the priority of Jesus' life was loving people. And we need to look at our own lives. Jesus looked at people through the eyes of compassion. You know, he said that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it with his very life. Look at your own life. Do you have compassion on people? Or do I judge somebody when I see somebody that's different or somebody that's struggling? That's not how God wants us to live. Wake up in the morning and say, God, how can you use me to love people, the people at my work, the people that I, I'm going to come across, every area. I've been trying to do that in my life, and I catch myself driving in the car, and we're all guilty of this. No, I'm, I'm probably the only one, but you're driving in the car, and you're trying to <laughs> work on godliness and, and get rid of this bad habit of jerk, you know, you drive like a jerk, or you say something to somebody under your breath when they're driving. You may be more colorful, I don't know, but man, that you try to make a commitment to drive nicer, you're going to find yourself, you know, it's exposed to us. And then I see th three things that Jesus practiced as well. First of all, Jesus practiced a consistent reading and memorization of Scripture. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the desert? How did he respond to the temptations of the devil? He always responded, it is written. Because he had memorized, read and memorized scripture. And the, the devil said, hey, if you're really the son of God, turn this rock into a loaf of bread. And, and Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we, we need that in our lives if we're going to overcome toxic habits. The Word of God is, is the thing that will change you most. I mean, anybody that I, that I know that gets hooked on reading Scripture consistently, their, their lives are changing. Their lives are changing from the inside out. You hear testimony after testimony there. Um, I gave you some strategic uh, Bible passages for detoxing bad habits. I would tell you this, over the next few weeks, take these passages and, tr and read them and try to memorize them. Try to memorize these key passages when you know if God's putting his finger on a bad habit in your life today, you're going to need the word of God. It's what will change you. Jesus was consistent, always had a consistent time in prayer and solitude as well. That was another of his practices, things that we see. He, he had a consistent time in prayer and solitude. Now, I'm an extrovert. It is very hard for me to find time alone. I hate being alone. You introverts are like, you know, love being alone. You need energy to be around people. Extroverts, you know, get energy from people. And so, for, but you, what you see practiced by Jesus, he was in a constant communication with his father. To have a consistent prayer life doesn't just mean you sit and pray for two hours. It just means you're aware of God. Whether you're driving, you're in the shower, you're, you're at work, you're, you're consistently communicating and, and, and talking to him and sharing what's going on inside of you because he already knows. And then getting away and being alone. I have a chair in my office that I like to try to sit at least 10 minutes, 15 minutes and just pray and talk to God. I'm not very consistent about it. I need to do a better job, but it is, it is a goal that I know and I've seen fruit in it. And then lastly, Jesus practiced a, a uh, constant reliance 
on the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit. He modeled a Spirit-filled life. And Paul writes in Romans, he says this to you and I, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. That's good news. You don't have to be obliged to have bad habits. As hard as that sounds, we don't have to do that. He's given us the victory. He says, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We wanted to bring this to a conclusion by a a spiritual growth challenge that been praying about and thinking about and thought this would be the perfect time to kind of unfold an, an opportunity for you and I to put feet to replacing bad habits with good ones. Now, when, when we, the Bible talks about fasting, there's different types of fasts for different purposes. You can fast a pleasure, you can fast food, you can whatever. And, and when, you, when you go through that fast, you're disciplining yourself to focus on God and to not let anything you know, be a slave to anything. And uh, it's what we thought would be a good fast is to do a media fast, a 21-day media fast. We, we're calling it, un, we want to unplug in order to recharge. And I'm asking everybody in this room to say yes to this challenge this morning. Um, I saw a video that Granola Uh, Nature Valley granola bars put together. It was crazy. It was in Relevant Magazine, but it was about how when people were children, they were all about 40 and up, what they did when they were kids, and it was, oh, we played outside, we did baseball, you know, we jumped, rode our bikes, whatever, and then they were talking about a lot of the kids. They interviewed kids that were like 10 and under, and it's, I text, I'm on the phone, I like to play games, and it was nothing about going outside and being a kid. It's everywhere I go, I keep keep realizing something that could be meant for good can certainly turn toxic pretty quick. How many know that this thing can be a ball and chain in your life? That you're not fully present when you're with people. You, You can be in church. Yeah, great message. Uh huh, I wonder what's, you know, and you're, it's, we're, on our phones, we're sitting together, uh, you know, watching TV, media, but we're just, yep, yeah, what's going on? And we're, 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 we can become slaves to media. I, I saw a statistic that the average person that's on Facebook spends 45 minutes a day just on Facebook. Um, you know, again, right or wrong, it's, it's, it, we need to unplug. And so what we thought we could do is we'd challenge ourselves to unplug from media, internet, TV, uh, games, whatever it is. Here's the challenge. Would you be willing for one hour a day and one full day a week over the next three weeks, over the next 21 days, to put your phone aside not watch TV, unplug from media, and do it when it hurts. This doesn't count when you're sleeping, or you know, at work you have to be on the internet and sometimes on your computer, I get it. But f- I know for us in our household, probably from like seven to eight at night is gonna be the most difficult time to shut off a TV because that that's, can be the norm, is that's when you just sit around and play on your phones and have the TV in the background numbing our brains, right? And it's, it's e- to unplug from that and take that hour and pray. Take that time and read the Bible. Take that time and 
go for a walk as a couple. Take that time and play a game as a family. But it's an opportunity to fast from the distractions of media, TV, etc. for an hour and put your focus on God and one another. And a full day, so three times, could you do a full day? And I'll give you the and or card. Do an hour a day or one full day or do both. I'm going to do both. And I know it's going to hurt a little bit, you know, maybe on a sports day or something when I want to watch a game if I'm not going to watch, watch, you know, have the TV on ever. I know it's going to be good for us. And some of you are thinking, well, that's not really that hard for me. Well, would you, what would it be in your life that needs to be replaced? I think probably 90% of us in here need this kind of unplugging as well. But um, when you fast, it's not legalism. It's uh, growth. We're seeking God. And we're wanting to put him, you know, seek him before all else. Now, the funny part is, if you have a smartphone and you have the Novation app, I'm going to ask you to go on your media. You can go on the app, the Novation app right now, and you can accept this challenge by opening it up. You see up in the right-hand corner, it says unplug, bam, and I accept, the, I accept the challenge. I will unplug. During this time, we want to hear about your experience of what God does in your life, how he grows you, etc. You're going to get an email if you're on our email, or you can go to the website and accept this. I, some of you are thinking, well, you don't need me to tell you that I'm doing this. Well, I don't need it, but there is an accountability when you say yes to something that's going to be different than when you, we just talk about it. So um, we accept that challenge, and let's unplug for 21 days. Let's replace bad habits with good ones. And see what God will do in each one of our lives individually and us as a church. We stand with me and I want to apologize for going a few minutes over, but I wanted to make sure we had this.